This is a CNA podcast. One of the things I enjoy the most about my job is being on the front lines, covering events as they happen, or talking to people I otherwise wouldn't get the chance to speak to, particularly when we get to travel overseas. Even after I became a mother, I relish the adrenaline rush that comes with the thrill of chasing a story in an unfamiliar environment. When I was on overseas assignment, I could focus entirely on my work, without worrying that I needed to rush home at a certain time to pick my son up from preschool or to put him to bed. But at the back of my mind, there was always this unsettling feeling of guilt. My son wouldn't get to see his mummy while I was away. Yes, I missed him, but shouldn't I miss him a little more? The mummy quickly come back home. Mummy come back home. You miss your mummy? Do you love your mummy? That's my husband, Caleb, who looks after our son, Evan, while I'm away. I'm Leanne, a journalist with TNA Insider and the mother of a two-year-old. I sometimes wonder how parents must feel when they want to pursue their passion, but worry that it's coming at their children's expense. That's why I was so drawn to Waitia's dilemma. Waitia's a humanitarian doctor, an inspirational speaker, and runs an NGO. On top of that, she's written and illustrated four picture books. She even held a calligraphy exhibition recently. When we first met, I remember being a bit overawed by her accomplishments. But what stood out to me was how deeply important the role of mother is to her. Esther Praise is my um, second born. She is in the thick of her terrific threes, but thankfully still very adorable, so it kind of evens out the hard moments. Then there's Sarah Faith. She's five years old. She's rambunctious. She's expressive. She's everything you think a firstborn is and should be. <laughs> How do you think she will introduce you? Oh, wow. I hope these are not curveballs. Wow, no, no. <laughs> I'm just trying to be as realistic as I can. I think she would say, Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Faith. This is my mummy. She is a doctor, she's a speaker, and she's a good mummy. I'm not sure if I would fully agree with her, but she often says that. She says that to me at least once a day. That's lovely to hear. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm grateful. It just speaks of who she is, not so much of who I am, I think, but of who she is. <laughs> It's obvious to anyone listening that her children are really close to her, and she to them. Which is why, when Waitia got an email offering her the chance to fulfil a childhood dream, her first thought was, no. And I remember looking at the email, scoffing at it, and I sent him back my reply. Like, haha. <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, this is... Uh, not for me, it's for other people who are like free and single and, and don't have to be a mom to two young kids. But Waitia wasn't always a mother. And to understand her story, we have to go back about two decades to the time when she was 18. Fresh out of junior college, she'd applied to study medicine at the National University of Singapore. But she had a crazy dream, one she wrote about in her application to medical school. I wrote, I hope that one day I can do something meaningful for the United Nations or the World Health Organization, but I had no idea how it was going to come to pass. 
Before term started, Waitia had a few months to while away. On a whim, she applied to some volunteer organisations. And one of the organisations called me back and they said, you know, we have this opportunity to serve as a volunteer in Nepal. Would you like to come and serve? Because there are bomb blasts going on here. It's political instability. No one's here, but we need help. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, I would love to say yes, but my parents would totally kill me. Her parents weren't, as you can imagine, too keen. But they eventually relented and Waitia was off to Nepal for six weeks to help out at her children's home. There... She cared for girls from 3 to 11 years old, teaching them arts and crafts. She lived crammed together with 30 girls in a small house that was unheated even in the dead of winter. But it almost didn't matter. These girls who had been abused and abandoned, they just filled the house with so much warmth. It didn't last. One day, the home's landlord called to say they were being evicted. Waitia watched the girls slowly pack up their things, and piled them onto a dirty blue pickup truck. And I remember standing there, watching this entire world around me fall apart in just hours. And I think a part of me lay permanently shattered. Waitia thought to herself how it all seemed so unfair. How could the world be so unjust? But then it struck her that maybe she could still do something for those girls. She'd always loved art, so back home in Singapore, she wrote and illustrated a children's picture book to raise money. She raised more than $100,000, enough to get the girls a permanent home. As Waitia saw how her little dream could make such a big difference, she realised, at 18, that she wanted to do more to help underprivileged communities. I discovered that I didn't just want to do this as a hobby anymore. I really wanted it to be a part of my life. And then later on, as I continued to do more, I realised I wanted it to be my life. During her five years in medical school and after, Waitia went on more and more humanitarian trips. She volunteered her services in countries like China, Myanmar, India, the Philippines and Cambodia. And along the way, she met Cliff. Just like her, he was an adventurer. He'd survived liver cancer, had a transplant, then gone on to do an Ironman triathlon. But what really won my heart was that he decided to give up a life of, you know, gold medals and accolades to pursue serving the underprivileged all around the world. They got married and served in Uganda for a year together before spending time in the US and Canada, where Cliff is from. Even after their two girls were born, they never stayed in one place for long. They were ready to uproot themselves at any moment to go serve the poor. Even things that are really obvious, like buying a house, for example, we, we lived off rentals for a great many years of our lives because we were constantly moving and we wanted to be open to different opportunities that called us to serve overseas. But as time went by, other demands began to take precedence in their life together. In 2019, Waitia and her family moved back to Singapore so that she could finish serving out her bond from medical school. And then... Singapore Airlines will temporarily cut flights globally. The pandemic hit, and travel was no longer an option. While Cliff stayed home to look after the children, Waitia worked part-time doing teaching and research. At the same time, she was running her international non-profit, Kitesong Global. The girls were then two and four years old. 
significant part of our day is dedicated to unglamorous things like doing chores and cleaning up. <laughs> I cook and he cleans, so that's fair. I tend to do more arts and crafts with the kids. He tends to do the crazy, messy science experiments, which I really don't want to see sometimes. <laughs> but the kids have a, yeah, but the kids have a lot of fun with Daddy. In short, between work and raising two girls, Waitia's plate was pretty full. She likes to talk about life in terms of the changing seasons. And to her, it was clear that her season for adventuring was over. This was her time to be a mum. At least, until the email came. Waitia was working from home on a Saturday afternoon, trying to clear her inbox when... a new email landed. It was from her mentor at the NUS Yong Lulin School of Medicine where she worked. The subject line read, Global Outbreak Alert Response Network Call for Humanitarian Assistance in Africa. She opened it and read his message, which was just two words. Wanna go? Her heart jumped and she read the rest of the forwarded email. It was a call to action by the WHO and UNICEF for people to go to Africa to help with the COVID-19 pandemic. Because this was my dream my whole life, to do something meaningful like that. But her next thought right after that was, okay, this is uh, not for me. It's for other people who are like free and single and, and don't have to be a mom to two young kids. She typed a one-word reply, haha, and hit send. To Waitia, it was simple. She had responsibilities to her two daughters and to Cliff. Yes, she was disappointed. But there was no way she could go herring off alone to a far-off land, right? Weeks went by, and the email stayed in her mind. She finally decided to tell Cliff about it. And he was so stunned. He was like, why, why didn't you tell me this earlier? And I said, the answer is no, so what's the point? And I think Cliff, he just knows me so well. He just saw right through me. He saw through my heart, and he just said, you know, Waija, this is what you've been training for your entire life. And he said, you just have to go. The conversation got emotional. Because I told him, I said, you don't understand. If I go, it's for a minimum of six weeks. And how are you going to cope with two kids? Even like with two kids among the both of us, it's already <laughs> exhausting. I'm like, how are you going to do this? And he just was so determined. He just said, this is the right thing to do. And when you do the right thing, things will fall into place. Not only would Cliff have to take on the responsibility of solo parenting for at least six weeks... They also worried over how the kids would react to being without their mother for so long. But Cliff reminded her that doing humanitarian work and helping the poor was something they stood for as a family. And their daughters needed to see it in action. It's easy as parents to want to impart to our children through speech. This is how you do it. This is how you live your life. But nothing beats showing and modelling to them when they see their own parents doing that in action, when they know how hard it is, when they see that it requires a sacrifice, I believe that it somehow sows a form of grit in them. I really wanted to be the kind of mum whom my children can look up to and say, I really want to be like my mum. Decision made, Waitia sent in her CV. Then they waited for confirmation. For nearly two months, she didn't know when she'd be asked to go or where exactly in Africa she'd end up. She had many sleepless nights. 
I remember waking up at 4am, lying in bed and wondering, what on earth did I just do? And I thought to myself, this is such a mistake. Like, I hope they change their minds. I hope they don't deploy me. I hope that maybe, you know, this would all disappear. The biggest challenge was breaking the news to their children. I said, mommy's going to Africa. I think that was probably the hardest thing that we'd ever have to do. I think for a mother to tell her kids that um, she will be away for a long time is a, is a hard thing. <laughs> How do your children react when you said that? They were both very sad at first. I think my three-year-old, she was vehemently saying no. And I remember my five-year-old, she's always tried to be very grown up. So she said, I will be very sad, mummy. To help them process the news that mummy was going away, she took out a map of the world and pointed out where Africa was. She showed them pictures. She even got them to help her pack her bags. But still, Waitia wondered, would her children be okay without her? Or would she be scarring them? I was worried that, you know, without my presence for so long, how would the kids do? Would they somehow be damaged in some way? At that point, I thought to myself, seven weeks is a long time to be away from a then four and two-year-old. Hearing Waitia talk about her concerns, I wanted to go find some answers. Because every time I go overseas without my son, I also worry about this. Was this fear that being away from my child physically would hurt them somehow? An unfounded one? I don't think it has damaged your child or mine. <laughs> no, so stints like these do not damage, damage the child. That's clinical psychologist Dr. Geraldine Tan, or Dr. Jerry as she likes to be called. She has two teens herself and remembers what it was like going on an extended work trip while still breastfeeding her firstborn. The guilt made me pump all the time. Research shows that consistently being away from your child for a prolonged period could cause them to feel neglected or abandoned. But Dr. Jerry says what really matters is being emotionally present with them, even when you can't be physically there. For example, if you're calling them, tell your child you miss them. And pay attention to the events in their lives, like... Oh, today you have a show and tell. How was your sports day? To ask after... So they know that you're interested rather than you completely are disinterested. Having a trusted figure around the child, like their dad, grandparents, even a helper, would also make a difference. If there is a secure figure that they can develop secure attachment with, where this adult, this person is able to hold and contain the emotions of the child, nurture the child, connect with the child, the child can feel and can grow quite well. And generally, if you're feeling worried or have that same fear I had, Dr. Jerry says that means you're already emotionally engaged with your child. I realise it is the mothers that feel the angst a lot. Like, oh my God, am I doing something untoward towards my child? You know, am I hurting my child? So for these mothers, if they can think of it that way, I would say, I don't have to worry about these moms. <laughs> they, they, they love their children so much. They are so connected with their children, you know, and they will come back and they would work through all these feelings with their children, how can the children not be connected with them, you know? As for Waitia, 
she finally got news of her deployment to Africa in January 2022. She was going to a place called Eswatini and she'd be leaving in two weeks. I was like, Eswatini? Where's that? (laughs) I mean, I heard of Swaziland, but I didn't know that it had been renamed to, to Eswatini. I knew very little about the place. As she looked up more information about Eswatini, she told her kids about the small kingdom bordering South Africa. And over time, they seemed to come to terms with mummy leaving. She was walking with Sarah Faith to the bus stop one day, and her little girl, who was then four years old, said to her, Mummy, are you scared of going to Africa? Because you must be very brave. And I told her, I said, yes, I am very scared. I said, um, mummy doesn't sleep well in new places. I said, I'm a very light sleeper, so I'm afraid when I go to a new place, I won't be able to sleep. And she said, mummy, if that's the case, you should bring a book and a stuffed toy. Because if you do, you will sleep very well. Two-year-old Esther Praise took longer to come around. Every time Waitia asked how she felt about mummy leaving, and she always would say, sad, very sad. But that last night, or that second last night before I left, she said, I will be okay. And I said, what will you do when mummy's gone? And she said, eating pizza, having fun with papa and tete. And when she said that to me, I told myself, I can go now. I'm very grateful. <laughs> but what do you think happened over the course of the days when, when you were trying to prepare your kids? I think what was going through their hearts was maybe the five stages of like, you know, when they talk about denial and bargaining and anger and grief. I think they were actually going through those five stages, you know, and it came to the point where I think they landed very nicely in the stage of acceptance just before I left. Waitia was in Eswatini for seven weeks. She was deployed as a risk communication and community engagement consultant to boost the country's low COVID-19 vaccination rates. From the moment she got there, I just felt like I was in my element. As soon as I touched down, I remember I just hit the ground running. She found herself making presentations to government officials one day, and the next, she'd be visiting villagers and running focus group discussions. She remembers how, in one remote village, the chief ranted aggressively against the vaccine. After much talking, he changed his mind and welcomed the vaccination program in his village. I think that was a moment where I realised that I think I made a difference. But there were times when she'd wonder, what is my family doing now? Especially when it came to important dates and milestones she was missing out on, such as Chinese New Year, Sarah Faith's birthday, her own birthday, and Sarah Faith's first day of preschool. I remember the first day when Sarah Faith went to kindergarten, I wasn't there. And when my husband sent me all these clips and videos of her walking into school, I just lay in bed and I bawled. Because I always envisioned myself to be dropping her off at school, especially on her first day of school. And I missed that. I could never go back to that. Waitia tried to catch up with her kids over Zoom. Hi, Sarah Faith. Hi, Esther Praise. But as any other parent trying to video call a young child soon learns, it is not easy trying to keep them engaged. 
I remember just crying in front of the computer because Cliff shared with me and he said that, you know, the kids can't stay still. It's not that they don't love you, but it's just that they can't stay still in front of the camera. Before she left Singapore, she thought about creative ways she could engage children. Oh, so that's why you like breakfast, Big Bear. She yeah, had hit upon the idea of using two hand puppets, Bear and Bunny, to help prepare her children for her departure. Wow! Africa is a land of many animals. So And Bear would ask Bunny where she was going and Bunny would tell Bear that she was going to Africa and they had this really animated conversation. And I would tell them, I'd say, you know, when mummy is going to Africa, Bear and Bunny's conversations are going to continue. Bear and Bunny went into her luggage when she left for Africa. And while she was there, during pockets of free time in her room, Waitia would film herself using Bear and Bunny to describe parts of her day. It's a brand new day of the week. She sent her kids those videos as often as she could. Hello, Seraphine Esprit. Mommy has a surprise for you today. Ding, 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 ding. What's this? Presents! Do you think it's something that Bunny would like? Oh, something for Seraphine. And something for Esther Prince. Did Cliff send, send you videos as well? Actually, I sp- okay. This video really helped. I would specify him to take videos of my kids' reactions to my puppet videos. Very helpful. So that helped a lot because I could see that oh, they, this actually made them happy. I mean, as a mother, I just want to see my kids happy when I interact with them, and to see them being so fascinated and excited and laughing at my puppet shows. I mean, that gave me a lot of joy. What's this? Birdie. Birdie, look, look. That's Seraphim and Esther Praise, look. Seraphim and Esther Praise. Show me where Esther As the days went by and her time in Eswatini came to an end, Waitia came to realise she had made the right decision to go. And that conviction was sealed by something that happened on her very last day there. One of her neighbours in Singapore sent her a photo of Esther Praise standing tiny but proud beside a blossoming sunflower. Waitia's girls had planted sunflower seeds in their community garden just before she left for Africa. And now, it was flowering the very day she was due to leave to return home to them. I realised that it was a visual picture, a way of consolidating and culminating my entire trip. This saying actually came to my mind. What you sow in tears, you will reap with joy. I knew that we as a family, we had done the right thing. As for herself, Waitia also felt that she'd gained something. She had reclaimed her individual identity, something she felt she'd lost a grip on after becoming a mother. I discovered while I was in Africa to know that I could be a mom of young children and still be able to give back to society, to the world, in a very unique way, in a way that maybe few others could. In a way, as cheesy as it sounds, it helped me to rediscover a big part of why I do what I do. Talking to Waitia made me think about my own experience and dilemma that I face. I love what I do, and I love seeing my work make a difference. But how do I reconcile that with knowing that when I put my heart and soul into my job, I feel like I have to compromise on being the best parent I can be for my son? How do you balance your passion and serving others with serving your children? This was what Waitia had to say. 
I think all of us try to achieve balance and we all want to try to achieve balance at every moment and every day. We want to have our day perfectly curated into this pie of family time and work and, you know, serving other people. But the fact is that it's impossible. Ask yourself the question, how does my life look like when I look at it as a whole? If, when I look back at my life holistically, an overwhelming majority of the time is spent in my work, and that is not how it aligns to the values of how I want to live my life, there is a problem. But if I look back at my life and realise that it is being roughly apportioned to the way that I want my values to function, then I think there is coherence and alignment. As for the times I beat myself up for the decisions I make that affect my child, Whitea reminds me, feeling guilty about something doesn't mean I'm a bad mum. Guilt is a sense of, I feel awful because I did something wrong, therefore I feel guilty. Shame is taking that one step further and saying, because I did something bad and I feel so awful, I am an inherently bad person. So ask yourself, if a best friend or if my adult child were to grow up and to experience this, what would I say to him or her? And I think when we exercise that self-compassion on others to ourselves, it's a very powerful tool. Can you relate to YTR's story? What are some of the other things that make you wonder if you're getting the parenting thing wrong? We'd like to hear from you. No issue is too big or small. Write to us at cnainsider at mediacorp.com.sg. Do check out our other episodes where we cover topics from mental health to tackling school exams. I'm Lian Chia, and this has been Imperfect, a podcast by CNA Insider. It's sound engineered by Jonathan Yeo, with input from supervising editor Yvonne Lim and senior editor Crispina Roberts.